This is it, people. This is what you've been waiting for. This is Everyday Celebrity Podcast. The podcast for everyday people with everyday problems trying to find everyday solutions to accomplish everyday goals. Let's start the show. You, 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 welcome to another episode of Everyday Celebrity Podcast. This is your host, Jordan Owandi. This is the number one podcast in Oakland, number one podcast in the Bay Area. And today is a special day. Um, we have a very special guest to ramble about any and everything. I don't really have, I mean, I do have a certain subject we're going to talk about, but this is a person that I wanted to interview. And she is, when it comes to free spirits, uh, when it comes to feminism, when it, when it comes to style and fashion, and when it comes to black hippies, <laughs> you think of this girl. Her name is Brittany Camacho. Welcome to the show. Hello. So stoked to be here. How was your day today? It was chill, you know, just taking it easy, trying to relax my mind before we came here and got into it. Mm-hmm. So so before we start talking about uh, the nitty gritty, um, let's get a background on who you are as a person. Where are you originally from? So I'm originally from SoCal. I was born and raised in Orange County, actually, but I'm a first generation immigrant on my dad's side. So my dad was born in Orange County, like Laguna Beach, Orange County. So I grew up 15 minutes from Laguna. So Mission Viejo, like nobody knows where the hell that is unless you're like from there. But so wait, wait, wait. So when I say Laguna Beach, I'm talking about like the TV show. Yeah. So you grew up around that type of shit. I did. I used to run into some of those people like on the street, you know, like pull the mic closer to you. Closer. Yeah. Like this. All right. Continue. Um. Yeah. It was very much a bougie area to grow up in, but I was, you know. Middle class, upper middle class. So it was interesting to go to school with kids that had like, they're getting BMWs for their 16th birthday and living in these crazy custom homes. And I was just along for the ride, really. But yeah, my dad was born in Mexico City. So I'm a first generation immigrant on his side. Mm. My mom was born in New York, Queens. And they met. Wait, 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 wait. So your, your, dad is, your dad is Mexican and your mom's black? Yep. Okay. Well, was black. My mom passed away when I was 17, but we'll uh. get there. Uh-huh. Um. So yeah, I grew up in Orange County. Both my parents met in high school in Santa Ana. So that's technically Orange County, but it's very much on the edge. Mm. So they decided they were going to bring up me and my sister in Orange County, which is cool. But you know, I grew up around like a lot of like white people. So when me and my sister went to school, it was like us and four other people that like weren't white. Or what did black. you? What did your dad do? He's a firefighter. He's been a firefighter for twenty eight years. Yeah, he's, he, a me- he's a Mexican firefighter? A Mexican firefighter. And the coolest part about that is my, <laughs> my dad wanted to be a firefighter like since he was a little kid, I right? bet he went through a whole bunch of oh my racist God, shit with that department. So much racist shit. Like being like a shorter Mexican dude, like trying to get on the force. Like he had all kinds of fucked up stories to tell me. But my mom, my mom's dad, my grandpa, he was a firefighter. He was the first black firefighter on i forget what station he was at in santa Ana, but he was the first black firefighter within that station Mm. so when my mom and dad met and my dad realized what my 
grandpa was doing for a living, he, like that was his mentor, you know? And so my grandpa helped my dad like pave the way to like achieve his dreams and become a firefighter, which was like, it's been a really cool thing to, to see my dad do that my entire life, you know? So your dad is a firefighter and your grandpa's a firefighter? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah, it was, uh, I feel like my dad was a- What was your mom? My mom was a court reporter for a while. And then when I was born, she quit that job and, you know, was a homemaker and then ended up doing interior design um, mm. a little bit later into my life. And she had some other side projects. She, like, made chandeliers and, like, custom lighting and made jewelry, all kinds of stuff, you know. Are you the youngest? No, I'm the oldest. So it's just me and my sister. Um, my sister's, like, three and a half years younger than me. Mm. So it's just the two of us. And, yeah, Orange County was a beautiful place to grow up in. Um but it was very closed-minded. A lot of people were racist and homophobic and xenophobic. And, mm-hmm. you know, of course, my parents didn't surround themselves closely with people like that. So for a while, I was in a bubble and I didn't realize, like, how toxic Orange County was until I really stepped back and realized, like, damn, like, this is Trumpville, you know? Especially over, like, the last, like, four or five years. To say you're from Orange County, people look at you and they're like, ooh, like, that's where you're from. Were your parents... Uh, how can I say this? Were your parents free spirits? Like, if you were to, like, did they teach you, like, oh, it's okay to be gay and all that shit? Yes, they, they did, like, but you it wasn't not. overt. It, like, my parents had, you know, gay friends, and they're on the younger side. You know, my dad is fifty-one. My dad just turned fifty-one, or was it fifty-two? Anyways, my parents are on the younger side, so they were very much like open-minded. But I wouldn't say they were as free spirited as I am. Mm-hmm. You know, like. I'm like out here like my dad thinks it's crazy that I smoke weed and like all this stuff. Like he doesn't disown me for any of this, but he's very opinionated about the way like I live my life at times. Mm. So I guess in comparison to their families, they were free spirited, but not in the way that you and I would describe that term, you know? So your father's is Mexican, right? What did they, his, did his family accept your mother? Because I've dated Mexican women in the past and their families hated the fact that sh- that they were with a black man. I've heard those stories, but that is not the case for my family whatsoever. It's very much a melting pot. Like I have aunts and uncles that are, you know, white or Vietnamese, mm. um, you know, all that stuff. So my mom was very much taken in by my dad's side of the family when they were in high school. Because the crazy thing is, so they went to high school together and my mom literally grew up like blocks away. So they were at each other's houses all the time. Like families very much like intermingled. So... I, I, it was a crazy thing too, is I grew up not thinking that interracial relationships and marriages were an issue to some people because my grandparents on my mom's side got divorced when my mom was really young and they both remarried and they both remarried white people. Mm-hmm. So I had an extra set of grandparents because of that. So looking at my mom and my dad and then my grandparents and the most, most of my family, I just thought like interracial relationships like weren't a thing in people's minds. And I vividly remember being in the first or second grade. And my dad picking me up from school and some little boy making a comment like, your dad doesn't look like you at all. He's way too light or something on the, along those lines. And that kind of like broke the bubble, you know? What? Yeah, so did you smack him? <laughs> I should have, right? I fucking should have. <laughs> but I, like, I remember vividly being like, like, what is he talking about? Like, mm. What do you mean my dad doesn't look like me? Like, What kind of comment was that to even make? Mm. So, yeah, I mean... I feel I feel blessed to have grown up in, in the environment where like that wasn't something that was a barrier in my mind. But now I've over the past, you know, 20 years, I've learned as to why people have 
those those notions and the, those hurtful feelings. But whose side of the family did you gravitate more towards? Um, I would say my mom's side. My mom's side. Of the family. So I always think it's funny, like when you when I talk to like mixed race people. Mm-hmm. Like if a person's all uh, black uh, mixed with black and white, or a person's mixed with black and Mexican, or black and white, or if it's black and something else, they always gravitate toward the black side. Why do you think that is? I was going to ask you why you think that is. For me, it was because my dad was at work a lot, so my mom would like take me to my grandparents' house or my aunt's house. Like my dad worked, like being a firefighter, when you go to work, you're at work for like five days straight. So of course, mm. my mom's going to take me. Like we would go hang out with my cousins and aunts and uncles at my grandma's on my dad's side, but. My mom would like take me to her family's house, you know. So f- yeah. for me, that's the reasoning. But like, what like would you it, say the do reasoning? you do you know any uh, people? I know I'm pretty sure you know someone who's like mixed with black and white, right? Of course, like one of my best friends is. Yeah, yeah and do and then when you uh, ask that person, "What are you?" They would normally say, "I'm black." They wouldn't say, "Oh, I'm mixed with black and white." They would just say, "I'm black off the rip." No, she says. I think she says black and German because yeah, black and German because yeah, her grandparents are both born in Germany. <laughs> so like for her. She's very much 50-50. And it's funny you say that. So if a random person walks up to her and says, oh, what, what are you? She, she, she'll say black in German. She wouldn't just say black. I think she would. You know, that's an interesting thing. Like, I, I don't, don't think so. I don't think about a lot of those things sometimes. Like, um, it's interesting, though. My dad made a comment to my sister. He's like, when I look at you and your sister, I, just, like, I feel like, you know, you guys are Mexican. And it's mm. like, for me and my sister, it's like, I claim both sides of myself equally like i am just as black as i am mexican i'm just as mexican as i am black mm-hmm. so it was really interesting for me to hear my dad say that and it's like you fell in love with a black woman your lives were intertwined so deeply until she passed away but you see me as mostly mexican like no nah, i have half of your dna and i have half of hers like i mm-hmm. like when i tell my some, anybody else who asks what i am as far as ethnicity goes i'm half black half mexican and i'm like 12 percent native but i don't really know the details about that so i don't talk about it but yeah and what are your siblings like um my sister is extremely outgoing and funny and she can be friendly but she can also be rude um so like growing up not growing up in college like i very much was the like you said free spirit hippie gal and my sister did the whole like sorority thing like Mm. she's very much about her greek letters you know all that and so she and i have like she like the only like black Yes. Girl in this. She was. She was the only black girl in this. I think there was one other girl. Yeah. So it was like, you know, she she represented that bit of flavor for that (laughs) sorority she was in. But like, I don't like those kinds of institutions. Like, I know there's things to gain from there and connections, but Mm. I was not pulled towards that whatsoever. But like, my sister and I, we have a similar sense of humor and the way we look at the world as far as like feminism goes and politics go, we're very much on the same page. Mm-hmm. Um, she's also very into fashion. Um, she's extremely creative too. She just got a job at Netflix that she just started like almost a month ago, which is mm-hmm. so, so cool. Um, so yeah, it's like she and I are same, same, but different. You know, if you were to look at us side by side, like we look like sisters, but we dress differently and our circles are definitely different. Like a lot of her friends don't look like her i guess you know same could go for me but yeah and that was just two of you guys it's just the two of us sometimes i wish we had a third it would be cool to have like a brother or something but yeah it's just me and my sister all right so growing up in orange county what was high school like for you so high school i was so i went to catholic school i went to a private catholic school for middle school and high school so So sorry for you uh, right (laughs) So I went to public school until I think I was in, I was in seventh grade. It was all girls school. 
No, it wasn't all girls. Thank no. God. Oh my, there was no way I would have made it out. It was just all <laughs> chicks. No, thank you. But um, I went to public school up until seventh grade, and so when I was in sixth grade. I think like a month before I was supposed to start middle school, my parents were like, we want to tell you like you're going to this middle school instead of this one. And I thought I was going to go with all my friends that like I'd, you know, mm-hmm. been so close to. So I freaked out like up until like the day before school was supposed to start. And then like a few weeks in, like things were good. Like I've like some of the friends I made in middle school that I went to high school with, I still talk to to this day. They're some of my best friends. And while I was in, while I was in the thick of it, I was not appreciative because I'm like, I have to wear a uniform. I'm like, I have to go to mass, all this shit, blah, blah, blah. And now that I'm an adult and I can step back and look at it, it's like my parents, like, they worked hard to like send me to a place that they thought in their minds were going to give me more of an opportunity where the teachers were going to pay more attention, yeah. where the classes weren't going to be as full. And now that I look back on it, I'm like, yeah, like I got a, a really great education and I, I wasn't appreciative of it, of it then. But now like I look back. I'm assuming it was a majority, majority white Yes, yeah. extremely. Yeah. Okay. I want to say in middle school, yeah, there was one other black person in my grade. And like in high school, there was me in my grade. It was me, my best friend, Shayna, our friend, Brandon, and I think like one or two other people. Mm-hmm. But there was, there was the only black people in like our entire like class. Mm-hmm. But, do you feel, do you feel growing up, you like as you're, you're grown now, looking back at your, at your childhood, do you feel like you, I mean, saying deprived it will be a strong word, but do you think no. you'll be you were deprived of your culture, learning I, your culture? I will say, yeah, and I've had this conversation briefly with my sister. Like, it would have been extremely beneficial to grow up around people that like looked like me and her, and were going through similar things. Like, mm. we were kind of dealing with not even blatant racism, racism, but like more of a covert version of it to the point where it was like internalized. Like, we we didn't even recognize it in the flesh. Yeah. So. Like my hair is extremely curly. So is my sister's. And I used to wake up hours before school to straighten it every single day. Like that was a form of internalized racism because nobody looked like me. And I'm like, it wasn't just the representation in the media. Like I would go to school and no one would look like me versus mm-hmm. if I went to school, the kind of high school my parents went to, I would at least go to school and see other girls that looked like me. And I wouldn't feel, I don't think I would have felt as pressured to be like, I can't go out unless my hair is pinned straight, you know? So things like that. I will say like the people that I went to school with were like incredible kind people. I don't have so many, I don't have enough of a, how do I word this? I wasn't broken by that experience. Mm. I mean, I didn't get to go to school with a lot of people that were, you know, there wasn't a lot of like ethnic diversity, but I will say that it, it didn't scar me. I w- it would have been beneficial to go to p- school with people that were from different backgrounds, of course, but you know, in a way I had that experience and I'm able to bring that into adulthood and, and kind of look at that lens and, you know, understand internal, internalized racism because of that, you know, mm. like my sister and I both worked through that. Now that's not a thing that I feel anymore. I'm very proud to go into a room and, and be black and be Mexican and be different. But like before I felt like I was taking up too much space. I had to, to shrink down. I had to make sure I, I blended in because of the environment that I was in. And now that I'm out of it, I can understand why people feel that way. You know how to speak Spanish? It's a damn shame. Really, it's a damn shame because me and my sister are the only two of our cousins pretty much that can't speak it fluently. And I attribute that to my dad started on being became firefighter the year I was born. So like when you start and you become a firefighter, like you have to pick up all those shifts. Like you're gone six days out of seven. Like you mm. sleep at the fire station. Like 
So my mom, she learned Spanish because she fell in love with my dad. She wanted to be able to communicate with his family. Mm -hmm. So my mom taught us like, you know, a few terms, numbers, you know, whatever. But while my brain was forming in those formative years when you're supposed to allow a child to learn how to become bilingual, my dad wasn't there consistently enough to teach us like, you know, apple, manzana, like that kind of thing. Like it was very rudimentary versus like if my dad were in the home more in my formative years, then I think I would have been fluent. But I have Rosetta Stone. I'm trying to learn. Like <laughs> so many of my friends who are not Mexican at all can speak fluently. And I'm like partially inspired and partially just like ashamed. I'm like, God damn, why am I like not that level yet? Yeah. But you know. So what did you do to graduate high school? 2011. And what, where did you go after that? I went to Boulder. CU Boulder. Colorado? Colorado Boulder. Yeah. Yes, mm. yes, yes. A little bit of a party school, very much a party school, but mm. um, like a very progressive school and a very progressive like place to be, you know. Why Boulder? Um, I wanted to, well, first off, I wanted to be anywhere besides California. I wanted to get away from where I was at and just be somewhere new. Mm. And Boulder offered an opportunity to, I guess, intermingle with like, like more of an alternative lifestyle, you know, like I'm a very outdoorsy person and like my family, like I love hiking, I love kayaking, you know, rock climbing, all that. And like my family is not really into all that. And I knew if I were to go to Boulder, I would be able to find myself within communities that embrace all of that. Yeah. So yeah, I chose that. And they had a great integrative physiology program because at that point in my life, I thought I wanted to be a nurse because I grew up, we have, um, firefighters in my family we have paramedics in my family Mm -hmm. you know lots of first responders people that are of service to others so i thought my way of doing that would be to be a nurse and so i applied for the integrated physiology program and i got into that and it was good for for the first year of college and then i quickly realized the kind of lifestyle a nurse lives and that that was not for me like you have to be very dedicated to that like the sleepless nights to the physical pain you see from people and you have to be willing to, to be in the thick of it all. Mm-hmm. And I just, I was speaking to people that were in some of my biology classes and that were just, you know, doing pre-nursing stuff. And I was like, this is just not what I want to do. And I had a decision. It was like, I could go and become a nurse because I think that's what I should be doing. And because people in my family are doing stuff along those lines, or I could take this opportunity to kind of pursue something else that's calling me. And Boulder is also known for having a really good advertising program. Like their journalism program is bomb. And, you know, just by meeting people and intermingling, like I realized this. And so I applied to the journalism school for a degree in advertising and I ended up getting in. And I had to do an extra year because of the transfer credits. Didn't A lot of them didn't apply to that school. But yeah, that's what I ended up graduating in is a degree in advertising with an additional field of study in economics. Mm. So both of those are pretty much marketing, right? It's like economics, advertising makes marketing. So by having both of those, like it's my own like makeshift marketing degree. Mm. And yeah, I'm like really grateful because if I had went to another school that didn't have such a bomb advertising program, I don't think I would have even tried to go down that path, you know? And that brought me to having the skills to get to where I am today, even though it's very much different than what my degree is. Mm. Um, <laughs> well, let's, let's, let's one step at a time. Let's stay on the college. <laughs> <laughs> so when you went to college, mm-hmm. uh, I'm assuming you were like, what, 18? 18, yeah. 18? I went right after I graduated. Mm-hmm. Okay. So did you t- uh, find your, I don't know, your womanhood when you were in college? Did you turn into a completely different person from high school to college? 
I did. I definitely did because I was taken so far out of where I was from. Okay. I had a lot of and friends. In, in what way? Like, well, okay. So you, I had a lot of friends who ended up going to school within California. So like they would, en- they ended up going like an hour away from where we grew up or like, you know, six hours north, but it was all similar enough that they, of course, everybody changes when you go to college. Right. Yeah. But the, the drastic change that I went from going to Orange County to Boulder, Colorado was like a whole new world, you know, like, I was very much, I feel like I conformed more when I was in Orange County. When I came to Boulder, it was more of an opportunity to just be myself. Mm. And I saw people embracing who they were, even if it was weird or out there. And and it made me feel more comfortable to kind of just like settle into that. That paired with like the music scene, like a lot of incredible music that I had never even heard of or been exposed to. Like I'm a huge fan of jam bands now, like that is my genre. And I started getting into that a little bit when I was a senior in high school. But mm-hmm. once I got out to Colorado, like that is the scene for jam bands. Like, you know, Fish, like is a huge thing out there. Lotus, STS9, like a lot of those bands, like I really got into once I went out to Colorado. Never heard of them. You know, I got I to gotta send you some playlists. <laughs> I got to send you some sets from nugs.net. But yeah, I mean, I like met a lot of my best friends there. And mm-hmm. it was funny because there were a lot of California transplants from the Bay Area. So like a lot of my best friends that I, I'm still close to to this day, we met in Boulder and they were from the Bay and I was from Orange County. So like, I think I actually came to school with seven people from my graduating class from high school to Boulder. One of them being my boyfriend at the time. So we moved mm-hmm. out together and like a handful of our like friends slash acquaintances and like I want to say like four of them dropped out freshman year. Mm. And so like only a few of us like actually ended up graduating from the school. But yeah. Now, when I say, I mean, that that was a good explanation. But when I, what I meant was (laughs) like, did you, when I say change, did you start experiencing with like drugs when you went to college? Did you, (laughs) did you start messing around with girls when you went to college? Did you become more radical with like uh, protests or did you become more into politics, that type of shit? Okay. Okay. Well, the psychedelics thing for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely was, was, so I think there's you seem like a, like an acid type of girl. What makes you even say that? I, I want to know. know what makes you say that. You, I gotta know. You talk very fast. So I, I have heard that. Jesus. But, um, but yeah, continue. <laughs> We'll be talking at a snail's pace now. No, no, it's, it's good. Go ahead. You don't have a chance. I just got a lot to say, you know? Mm-hmm. But um, yes, as far as psychedelics go, I started getting more into those and understanding how they can be used therapeutically. Was it your first time doing psychs? No. Uh, okay. <laughs> no so no, you no. did it before you went to college? First time I did them was when I was 17 years old. Okay. And I went, I went camping in Joshua Tree with like a handful of my good friends at the time. And it was a very transformative, positive experience. Mm-hmm. So that was mushroom psilocybin. That was the first time I had tripped. And I, that was the only time I tripped when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. And so when I came to Boulder, yeah, I experimented more with that. You know, tried acid, tried mushrooms. And there was a bit more of an intention behind some of those trips. But some of them were just just to party and to, to mess around. Mm-hmm. Um, and at this point in my life, I haven't eaten psychedelics in a, a, quite a while, but I do think that they can be used for, for a lot of healing purposes. You know, it's like some of these plants come, they come from the earth. Like psilocybin was put here for us to, to utilize. I feel Yeah. Um, when it comes to like other research chemicals, like 2CB and you know, some of this like synthetic things I feel wary of, but when it comes to things of the earth, ayahuasca peyote 
mushrooms. Like you have to think about why is that there? Have you ever done one of those ayahuasca? Uh, no, but I will tell you. Thanks. I told myself when I turned 30, that's what I'm going to do. Two years ago, I was like, I'm giving myself the time to do the shadow work to get to the, the strong space mentally to do ayahuasca when I turn 30. That mm. is going to be my initiation into my 30s is to go on that journey. Mm-hmm. And I feel like you probably have heard, like those aren't pretty. When you do ayahuasca, you purge, you yeah. throw up, you have diarrhea, like it's Trapped terrible. in a house all weekend. Like, well, I mean, <laughs> to me, if I go and do <laughs> ayahuasca, I'm going to do it with a shaman probably somewhere in South America yeah, okay. where the medicine is from. And somebody who has administered medicine for a long time because it is medicine. You know, you know those uh, uh, those people from South America. They come to America specifically to do ayahuasca little events. I well, okay, so oh, of course, so you don't need to go events. to South America to do it. You, know? you don't need to go to South America, but if I want to have the herb that was grown from the ground over there, I want to be part of that that space. Like, okay, yeah. I don't want. I mean, I I you know I'm all for people bringing the medicine to wherever it needs to be and where the ceremonies need to be held. But mm. for me. I think it would be a lot more transformational to go where the medicine is from and to be a sh- with a shaman who has roots there. Mm. And I think that would integrate the the energy of the earth that that sprouts these medicines, right? Yeah. But yeah, especially within within Oakland because it's been decriminalized. Like you could have like there's ceremonies that go on here. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been a lot of like positive experiences. Yeah, I know I a girl of- who uh, who puts them on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What did she say about it? I mean, she says I really don't. <laughs> Like get into it, but she just says the only thing I know from is she brings someone from South America here to her house, and she has all these people in her house. They lock the doors. Oh my then god! <laughs> whatever happens in the house happens. Oh wow! And then you step out the house three days later. That's that's really interesting to know so. that they do it in a home because, like, as far as the places that are the retreats, you know, in like South America or whatever, yeah. like it's like an indoor outdoor space. So like you're mm. in the jungle and like there's a. A spot to be indoors and a spot to like kind of roll. Yeah, I'll hear you're trapped. You're trapped in the house. Yeah, within like, and it, <laughs> no, I think the energy of like the city too, like you're very sensitive when you're on these herbs and when you're on these medicines. So I feel mm. like even if you're not seeing other people in the outside world, like you probably fucking feel that, right? Mm, like when you're out in, in the forest and you're just with people that are doing the same thing as you, like you're going to feel that energy. But if you're here and like next door, like shit's mm. going down, like maybe you can feel it on another level. So were you, uh, did you get, were you like, uh, are you into politics? I am. I, I don't. So I don't watch a lot of mainstream media and I don't keep up with politics religiously because I feel like a lot of it is a song and dance. All right, well, let me let me ask you this. Are you uh, do you consider yourself a feminist? Yeah, I do. Were you did you like get into that in college or were you did you always think you were like I think I've, I've always been that way. Mm-hmm. Like that's how my parents raised us. Um, my mom and my dad, I feel like had a lot of balanced masculine feminine energies within themselves mm. and each other and my dad though i mean he just allowed me and my sister to to feel empowered you know um and yeah i think i've always been a feminist before i even knew what the word was and now it's beautiful that people like are able to to conglomerate under this term well well a lot of people don't really know what the word means because a lot of people you ask them well, what does a feminist mean to you a lot of men was well, the majority of men but some women will be like oh it's just women who hate men people really be saying that shit they do oh, um so God. what is what defines feminism to you <sighs> to me feminism is it's about empowerment it's about women 
realizing their divinity and realizing their importance within society and mm. upholding that for themselves and each other. Mm. And you can be a man and be a feminist, of course, as we both already know, but mm -hmm. it's about upholding the integrity of the feminine and allowing the masculine and feminine to be on the same plane and for women to step into their own because, you know, over hundreds, thousands of years, that power has kind of been suppressed. Mm-hmm. And it's time to reawaken it and to reestablish it. And that, to me, is what feminism is. Yeah, a lot of men don't know that uh, men are actually born with uh, feminine genes. Yeah, they are. And a lot of it would be awesome if more people were aware of that. Mm -hmm. And to be a fully realized male, you have to have the feminine aspects within you. And to be a fully realized woman, you have to have the masculine aspects within you, right? Mm -hmm. And masculine and feminine, you know, those are energies. That, like, it doesn't actually mean like the sex, like the, the genital. Mm -hmm. But those are energies that to be a balanced person, you need to have both of those. And you need to respect and acknowledge the, those energies within other people. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's, that's painful. Some people are like, oh, women who hate men. Like, damn, like, who hurt you, bro? Who <laughs> hurt you? Uh, when did you finish college? I finished in 2016. 2016, well. Yeah. <clears throat> with a degree in what? Advertising with an AFS and econ. Okay, so after college, you're in Boulder, Colorado. Mm -hmm. What was your next step? So for that first summer, I just I was working at a sandwich shop called Chiba Hut. Um, I don't know if you've heard of that spot. Have you heard of it? No. <laughs> so basically, it's like a Wait, subway. So did you did you feel like, damn, I'm a college grad now? I'm working at a sandwich shop. No, because at that point, I was just like, woo, I finished. Like, I'm just gonna do my thing. No, at that point, I was. So like, you didn't think, oh, society lied to me, saying I need to go to college. I did all this. Well, I was studying <laughs> and paperwork and money and shit, but now I'm working so, at a fucking challenge. I show. was in La La Land for a little bit. And then the next year, that's mm. when all of that set in. And I was like, my dad even made a comment. He's like, you didn't even need to go to college if this is what you're doing right now, you know, in like a very real but yet compassionate way. And so, mm -hmm. yes, the dread set in. And I was like, I didn't even need to do this. Like people made you feel like you were a loser and if, unless you went straight from high school to college without even really knowing what the fuck you wanted to do. Yeah. Like I fully changed my major for like, I did a whole 180 from like nursing to advertising. Like nobody told me that there was an option to take a year in between or however long I needed to decide what the fuck I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. So, um, yes, I worked at the sandwich place. It was a fun place. It was 420 themed. So all the names of the sandwiches were named after strains of weed. There was like the nug pinner blunt where the, sizes of the sandwich like you know it was a cool place to work mm. and then i ended up working for the corporate side and i did the corporate sandwich shop yeah i will it it was like it's like a small chain like it's a small oh, franchise okay, okay. so i ended up doing some some marketing stuff for them mm -hmm. and how did you get that job did you like tell them like you know i have a yeah when you were like making this sandwich you told them you know i have a goddamn degree in yeah it was that simple ship. you know because the people i worked with it, we were all like chill so we like all knew each other's life stories and mm -hmm. so they gave me that position i did that for a little bit and then i was uh in a relationship that wasn't so great that i ended up leaving and wait 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 we can't gloss over that so well this is this is part of the transition into what i'm doing now like okay. it all it all links was up. this was this a college sweetheart or yes like, okay yeah somebody that i met in college you know mm. not not talking shit not bashing but it was not do you want to give him a shout out like his name <laughs> You know, I think we, we shan't. We shan't give any shout outs. Okay. I got to ask, you know. <laughs> but, um, you know, it was one of those things where it was kind of like a, not a relationship that pulled you to be a better version of yourself. It was, we were just kind of enabling each other's not so great qualities. 
And I kind of snapped out of it. And of course, you know, you can't blame your life circumstance on any other human. Like we are fully in the driver's seat. And Mm -hmm. if you try to put the power anywhere else, you're doing it wrong. And you don't have a clear view of what reality really is. So I realized, you know, like I care about this person, but I need to leave this situation. And I was talking to my dad about it. And he was like, because I was living with this person at the time. And I kind of felt stuck. And he was like, well, if you want me to, I'll come out there. I'll help you move back. Your uncle has a place open at his house and you can live there while you figure out your next steps, which was so awesome. Like my, fa- like I'm so grateful to have my family and even have that as an option. But did you, did you want to go back to California? For, well, no, we had been talking about it for like six months prior. Like my dad brought up the idea to me and I was in denial and it took me like a good six months of really thinking about things and seeing my situation kind of get worse and stagnate before I made the decision. Like, you know, I have a family that loves me that they're helping me come up with options and I'm not as stuck as I seem to think that I am. Did you feel like you had to leave Colorado to 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 get away from him, or did no. you? Can you? Could you just break up with him and still be in Colorado? I could have, but I will say I didn't think there was many career opportunities because I was kind of looking for something else. Oh, okay, yeah. and I wasn't finding stuff like I was finding jobs I could have taken, but it was stuff that I knew I would have woken up and hated going to every day. And I was mm-hmm. telling my dad that, and he was like, "Well, come back to California. There's more things to do here," and he was. 110% right. Mm. So no, I will say the reason I moved away from Colorado was for more of a job opportunity aspect because I love Colorado. Like that place helped form me to be who I am. And um, even though I moved from Boulder to Denver after I graduated and yeah. it wasn't a great fit, like I still attribute that place to being part of part of my uh, evolution, you know? But it was just... You, you got to know when to hang up the phone sometimes. You got to know when something is done and you've got to just sometimes go back to your roots. So that's what I did. I kind of went back with my tail between my legs, even though my family welcomed me with open arms. But being, you know, how old that happened? When I was like 26. Yeah, I was 20, no, 25. Um, yeah, I was like a little bit like ashamed, like, fuck, like this didn't work out the way I wanted it to. And like now I'm living in my uncle's house, like, not paying rent and even though everybody invited me here like i fucking feel like i'm losing. and your uncle was in southern california yeah he was in okay. santa Ana um at the house my my dad grew up in actually so now mm. he he's the owner of that home because my grandparents passed away but so what was the first job that you that you acquired when you came back to california so for a while i want to say like eight months i just didn't have one i was taking a sabbatical and trying to figure out what i wanted to do just off my savings and you know, my dad was like, like my, I have an aunt that works for AAA and he's like, you should work with your aunt Lilia. Like she has a job for you. Like, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, dad, like, please just, I just need the patience and time to figure out something that like I'm, uh, I'm going to have a fire behind. You know, mm. I don't want just a stepping stone. I want my next move to be like a full blown next move. So you're, you weren't, you weren't passionate about advertising, what you went to school for? I mean, I was somewhat, but now I'm at the point where I, I'm not oh, a fan wait. of consumerism and advertising goes hand in hand. I always find that interesting. Right? Like when people, no, no. When people go to college. Oh yeah. (laughs) And then they spend all this fucking time. Well, well that's a societal thing. And then they get out and they're like, I don't even. Right. Like for me, I thought that's what I had to do. Right. Especially because I went to a a bougie ass private school. Like I went to school with kids that went to like Brown and Harvard. And I was like, like I've got to go to school. Like right. Once I graduate. So like the option, like I didn't even have the mental capacity to realize that there were other options and that Mm. I didn't need to do that and waste not waste my time but yeah if i had had the freedom to actually think about what i wanted to do it would have been an a to b thing versus like this whole maze that i went through which you know I'm, i don't hate I'm sorry. we have uh, there's beers in there if you want uh if you want to get a beer 
Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Sorry. So, um, no, I'm good. Uh, can you grab me one? Thank you. Uh, so, uh, damn, what, what, were we, what were we talking about? Yeah, you, your, your sabbatical. Mm-hmm. All right, so you're in L.A. You're chilling for eight months. Well, not L.A., Santa Ana, which is an hour uh, south. Yeah, well, Santa Ana. And you're chilling for eight months. You're trying to figure out what's your next step as an adult. Take it from there. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I've always been very into fashion. Yeah. You know, especially like growing up, going to private school. It was something that I longed to really embrace. <clears throat> and so I was thinking about how can I be involved within the fashion industry with what I've got. Mm-hmm. So there's this company that I now work for called Dolls Kill. And I started shopping there when I was in college and they would sell a lot of alternative stuff. So like I went to a lot of raves and festivals and like, really like came into my own when it came to fashion in college and this company yeah you do i was looking at your instagram i don't mean to keep interrupting you no no you're good when i was looking at your instagram you have a whole you you get i get the old burning man vibes (laughs) from you (laughs) the funny thing is last year was supposed to be my first year at burning man but of course covid you know i was supposed to go to that one too we're, oh my mm-hmm. god, it would have been so fun. Like, yeah. Where were you going to camp if you were to go? I was going to camp with this uh, so this girl that I interviewed um, on my first season. Uh, she's a part of this like Burning Man group, mm-hmm. and one of the the uh, like the the head person of her group is a guy who does like who works on Star Wars movies, like mm-hmm. graphic effects and shit. So he's like this rich motherfucker in San Francisco, <laughs> and. Um, I met her at this party. It was like this Burning Man party uh, where they have like this barge and it's like this musical barge where like people rent out and like want to throw parties and they use it for like Burning Man. It's like this huge bus that has all these speakers and shit. Like art car type? Yeah, something like that. So I met her at that party and and then I interviewed her and then she was like, yeah, you should come. So long story short, it didn't happen. So anyway. Right. Like thwarted. Like we'll go at some point, you know, Mm -hmm. it'll be fun. Yeah. But... Like, yeah, within college, I, I fully embraced the, the festival scene. And, like, by going and being in the festival circuit, mm-hmm. I saw people just wearing all kinds of cool, crazy shit, right? Like, I would, and within those environments, like, you can go up to somebody and be like, where did you get your outfit? And people would be like, oh, I made it. Oh, it's vintage. Oh, I got it from here, here, here. And a lot of the places people would say were Dolls Kill at that time. And I was mm-hmm. like, this company is so cool. I ended up shopping it's there. It's called a lot. Dogs or Dolls Kill? Dolls. D O L L S. K-I-L-L. Okay. Dolls Kill. Based out of San Francisco. Mm. But, um, you know, this is a company that I thought was super sweet. And even when I was working at that sandwich place when I was post-grad, I had a friend who asked me, like, if you could do anything you want to do right now, what would it be? And I didn't think you. <laughs> I didn't really have a specific thing in mind. But mm. I was like, oh, this company Dolls Kill is so cool. Like, if I could be doing anything, I'd just be working for them. Mm. You know? And so... While I was taking my sabbatical, I'm going to take this into an esoteric route right now. A what? Esoteric. Esoterica, like uh, of, of, you know, the other dimensions and uh, spirituality. But, that word's too big for me. <laughs> um, so when I came back home and I was living at my uncle's, it was very much like kind of a low point, like very much like a dark night of the soul. Yeah. And you know when you're in those spots, like you're willing to do anything to climb out. And so I started looking inwards and I was like, I'm, I started looking into manifestation the law of attraction. And I came across... So you became real spiritual. I became extremely spiritual. And I've always been very spiritual, but because the hustle and bustle of life had been slowed down and like all my friends were working, you know, 
everyone around me is like doing their thing and I'm sitting still, I was kind of forced to push into that even further. And so I'm like learning about manifestation and mantras and how to create the reality that you want by means, not by like physical means, but by mental means. Mm -hmm. I come across teachings by this man named Neville Goddard. Do you know who this guy is? I don't. So he's a new thought author from the 50s. And like I said, I went to Catholic school, but I'm not a religious person whatsoever. Yeah. But basically Neville Goddard took the Bible and decoded it into a manifestation guide. And if you are to look at the Bible and read it, not from a literal sense, but from like a mental sense, Mm -hmm. it is like a step-to-step guide on how to manifest reality and to alter reality. And I know it sounds nutty, and I thought the same thing at first, but you know, when you get to a low point, you're like, I'm willing to try any fucking thing that's out there, like whatever, just give it to me, give me the serum, let me see if it works. So I start listening to this dude Neville Goddard's lectures from the 50s. And he talks about um, the feeling is the secret, like em- embracing the feeling of living in the reality that you want to be and believe that you are already that person and that you- there's no choice but for you to align to that reality. So at that point, I'm like, fuck it. Like, I'm doing not shit right now. So let me try to align to the reality of a person who works in the fashion industry. Let me try to align to the reality of somebody who works for this company specifically. And I would, a lot of it is um like, acknowledging reality but kind of denying that the what you see in the 3d and just knowing that what you want is already within the other realm is it like one of those speak it into existence yes exactly but you could use some of the psalms in the bible for like specific Mm -hmm. instructions basically so i started doing that started messing around with that and um audrey and i started hanging out and getting closer because she was living in la at the time audrey who's sitting next to me for whoever's listening um, Audrey and I went to to college. So this is this is videotape too. It's videotape too. Okay. For the people on YouTube, this is this is Audrey. <laughs> this is Audrey. <laughs> so <laughs> she and I we became friends in college, and then we like we met up and became even closer afterwards when I was living in SoCal and she was in LA. Mm-hmm. And she and I are both kind of on the path of like, okay, like what's our next step? Like, what kind of jobs do we want? How are we going to like figure out where we want to go next? So like, I would go to her spot in LA in Koreatown, and we would just like sit there and like fill out applications and hype each other up whatever and i remember there was there were like several different positions at this company that i applied for i applied for all of them there was like a social media position um there was like a merchandise coordinator position and like a few others and i just like kept applying and i applied for several different positions over months at a time and you know i just i didn't have a certain a certain expectation of the outcome i just like knew what i wanted and like I was lighthearted about it because that's Mm -hmm. another thing that this guy teaches is to not attach too much importance to the outcome. Just know it's yours and not to push it. Mm -hmm. So for me, I was like, if it's meant to be, it's going to work out. And I remember being at her house at some point thinking like, like, you know, when you know something is solid, like you, you can think something through a thousand times and there comes a point where you just know something to be true. Mm -hmm. I'm sitting in her apartment and I'm like, I just feel like this, like I know this is mine. Like I know that, a job within this industry is set to be mine. And I sat in that feeling and it felt concrete. And I'm not kidding you, 30 minutes after this, as I'm sitting on her couch, I get an, an email for the first round of interviews at this company. So I'm like, what the fuck? Like, this is this is crazy. Like, I've been shopping at this place for years and I'm obsessed with this company. And like, now they're asking me to come in for an interview. And it was an interview for a social media specialist position. So... 
I have a phone interview. It goes well. And then I go in there and it's a group interview. So it's a group interview for a I hate group interviews. You know, okay. So I will say, I will say if you are the kind of person who likes to shine the limelight, that's your opportunity to be like, I'm different. Like I have something to bring. Like group interviews, you can kind of work it to your own advantage, you know, but I, they're like intimidating as well. So I hate them for different reasons, but anyway. (laughs) Well, what are your reasons you don't like it? Well, speaking of your like your story like i always wanted to work at urban outfitters Mm -hmm. because i fucking that's my favorite story right Mm -hmm. so when i was growing a long time ago i I applied for this fucking job to work there all the time for like many times never got an interview and then one day i had an interview i'm like oh shit and then i I go there and it's like 20 other people interview i'm like oh you guys are here for the same minute so it's a fucking group interview i'm like what the fuck so we're we're in this like circle with the manager in the middle of the circle and she's like going down everyone's telling them about themselves and i'm like i'm like i'm way over here and, it, and it's going around i'm listening to everybody i'm like this manager ain't even paying attention so how the fuck so i obviously i thought like this is this is a waste of time so when it got to me i was like yeah i'm jordan i'm just here to fucking <laughs> i'm just here to, for the interview and shit because i like the store because everyone's like oh this is my dream job i want to work here i've been thinking about this my whole life and shit like that so i'm like this manager is hearing all these like 20 people talking. How the fuck is she going to remember one person out of all 20 of these people? <laughs> so that's why I hate group interviews. I mean, obviously, I never, I never got hired. So that's <laughs> yeah, another reason there's, I hate there's it. Because there's two sides of the coin. It's like, yeah. especially when you get to be the last person and you get to hear what everyone else says, then it's like, all right, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do something so they remember yeah, me. Yeah, fuck that. But yeah. But like, I didn't realize it was a group interview mm. <laughs> until I showed up and they told me when they emailed me, they were like, it's very casual here. Like, so, you know, just keep that in mind. So in my mind, like you've, I've heard the term like dress for the job you want, not the one you have. So like, I knew this was a cool ass fashion company. And I was like, if I show up for this interview, I'm going to show up how I would dress if I worked there. So I wore this like fly ass outfit, right? Like I wear this like cute ass, like I had this cool like button down shirt, like half of it was like leopard. And the other part was like this orange floral. And like, there was like, clad on the arm like it was very unique like i I thought my outfit was fly because it was (laughs) and so i show up i show up to this cool ass office and the woman who checks me in is like that is like one of the coolest shirts i've ever seen like she called over another woman it's like have you ever seen a shirt like this like no we haven't and of course i go in there did you lie and say i designed this right i should have that's outside what i would have done but um i go in there and everyone else um not everyone but like the majority of the people in the interview are dressed very much like business casual like gray button down black pants like kind of plain they look at me with like my white platform docks on and like my baggy pants and my like button down shirt that's open with like a little tank top under and they're Mm kind of like like the vibe is interesting already as we're in the room with our resumes on our laps and shit Mm -hmm. so i go into the the interview it's like a few hours long they have us do group like exercises like it's cool everybody i'm with is cool like the vibe's good and at the very end of the interview this woman who's in the buying department comes in it's like you know we're like looking for people for the buying department if you're interested um, please let the recruiter know and we can um, like put down your social media so we can like take a look at like what you've got and yeah. um, we'll reach out to you if you know we're interested. So of course I was like in my mind, I came with skills for marketing, but I was like, I just want to work at this company. Like, fuck it. I'm going to make sure that they know like I will take that position as well. And so one of the buyers from the department, the shoe buyer like hits me up on Instagram and is like, Hey, like, I saw you like were interested in the position on the buying team. Like, like your stuff is cool. Like, do you want to have a phone interview within the next few days? And I was like, fuck yeah, I do. <laughs> um, so it goes well. 
And um, I end up coming in for a third interview. And that goes you know, three extreme. interviews. It was three interviews because you know this is like a, this is a serious Apple company, what is this? <laughs> right? Like, but that's how I knew, like you know, like I have I have imposter syndrome, but I remind myself, like I went through three interviews, and like if they didn't want me working there, then I wouldn't have made it through the three. Yeah. So I made it through the three, and then I get this call from the woman who reached out to me on Instagram, and she's like, "I know the position you applied for initially is very much different than the buying department." So she's like. I just want to let you know, like, do you want to take this path? Like, I know it's very different. And in my mind, it was kind of panic mode because it's like I went to school for advertising and economics and like marketing would be the next step, right? Mm -hmm. But buying, there's so much more of an opportunity for individualism and creativity. Like to like, I thought the closest I would ever get to working in the fashion industry would be to do marketing for fashion, not actually be the one like picking out the items. So to me, I was like, you know, I might not have experience doing this firsthand, but I love fashion and i I'm super interested in this company, so I'm just going to do it. And so that's that's like what I've been doing since then. So the the store is the name of the store is, is not the name of the brand. Like, so okay, so let me. It's explain. just a store that sells a bunch of different clothing. We'll get into that right now. So Dolls Kill has owned brands, and they have brands that they outsource. So I work on the branded team. So mm-hmm. we outsource stuff like Levi's and. Um, you go girl and you know, all kinds of stuff Mm. that we bring in, but we have five in-house brands as well that we have designers for, and they're all different aesthetics. So we Mm. have like sugar thrills, which is more like the girly cutesy baby girl stuff. We have current mood, which is like the edgy girl stuff poster girl, which is like cool Insta baddie stuff. Um, widow goth girl and Delia's, which was a really cool acquisition for us because that was a brand from the 90s Mm. that kind of fell off that people were really inspired by. So we acquired that brand, that trademark, and now we design for them. So it's it's a company that encompasses brands from all over the world as well as our own in-house brands. And so I work on the team that sources the brands from wherever. So was this in was this job in San Francisco or yeah? So LA? the office was before COVID. It was on Sixteenth Street, and right now everybody's working remote, and there's no office. We have we have an office in LA that we shoot at. Um, so when you got the job, you had to you had to relocate to the Bay Area. Yes, I was already living with my sister at that time, and because I knew I wanted to be in San Francisco, and I was like interviewing in other places. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know the tech industry is big, and there was a lot of startups, and so mm-hmm. I was like, I just need a change of pace. My sister's out here. I'm going to move out there and live with her for a while while I'm figuring this stuff out. So I was there, but briefly. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's where I'm at now. And and when did you get this job? What year? I got it in. I got it 2019, September of 2019. That's so this is recent. Very recent. And so was, you just moved up here recently. Recently, so I moved in August. Okay. Yeah. So the whole time you came back from college to go back to LA, you weren't working at all. Nope. That must be, that must and be nice. The, that's the thing too is I was really grateful to have my savings account and the family members that were like, yeah, like we know what you're doing. Yeah. We support you. Mm. Work at it, but we got you. And like I, there's not a day that goes by where I am not grateful to have that base. Like I don't mm. let that go unnoticed. Like I don't think that's like a common thing. Mm. There's a lot of people who would be in the spot that I was in with the, leaving the relationship and being in a hard spot and have nowhere to go and have to kind of jump from spot like job to job just to like stay afloat but Mm. um that was not the situation for me so i decided to take the most 
full hearted advantage of that and like push myself to a point where I could be doing something that I felt good about. Mm -hmm. So, so you, you, you come to San Francisco. I'm pretty sure you visited here before you, uh, many times before you moved. Yeah. My sister, she moved out here after she graduated and like, I would come visit her and my friends that I met in the Bay, um, Mm -hmm. when I was in college and I was like, this spot is so dope. The Bay Area is so dope. Like I need to be out here at some point. Um, and I just knew I would. I just didn't think it was going to be in this way. But yeah. Were you in a relationship when you came here? When I came here? No, I was single. I was single. And how long did it take for... <laughs> how long did it take for you to uh, end up with the person you're with now? Mm. A few years. Mm. Um, I ended up getting into a relationship, like I want to say three, four months after I moved here. Mm. With someone who I, you know, don't speak to anymore. But the person I'm seeing now, I met in like November. Did you, so from Colorado, I mean, from Orange County to Colorado to LA to the Bay, did you date a different type of man in every, in every area? I sure did. Um, So, yeah, explain, uh, I don't really... I mean, I don't really consider relationships in high school like real relationships. Oh, neither do I. But that's why it was interesting to go from high school with someone that I dated and then take that into college for a little bit. Like, that's a really interesting thing. Yes. So tell me what type of man you dated in college and what type of man you dated in L.A. and then (laughs) the type of man that you normally date in the Bay Area. I will say, and how are they different? I will say that the everyone that I've dated has been a reflection of who I am at the time. Because mm-hmm. you know, like relationships and not just rom- romantic ones, but friendships, everything, they're a mirror to who you are. So people who are attracting shitty situations, it's like, it's kind of harsh to say, but it's like there's something within you that is that person and that's why you are vibrating on the same frequency yeah. to have found each other. So when I was in college, it was men that were... I guess there's like a little bit more of like a, how can I even say this? Like frat boys? Definitely not frat boys. Oh my God. I've never, ever oh, been that kind of thank person. Thank God. Shit. Good Lord. About no, to say this interview is never. over. <laughs> it was just people that I hadn't really dealt with uh, some of their immaturity issues, I guess. Mm-hmm. Escapism was a thing for the people I dated back then. Um, and when I was in LA, not LA, because you you keep saying LA and it's making me say LA, but I was living in <laughs> Santa Ana and I was having my fun in LA. What is it? That's LA County, isn't it? No, it's Orange no? County. It's the edge of Orange County. Okay, well. But yeah, barely Orange County. All right. When I was in LA, it was more people that were looking for fun, open experiences. People that were that were uh, loving and caring, mm-hmm. but not to the extent of like being committed. They were like, we're going to experience things from each other yeah. and we're on our own spaces and this is what we're doing. And I was very much on that page. Like that was the feeling at the time. And now it's, it's, I'm looking, well, I'm embracing the kind of relationships and friendships that bring me to a sense of like divinity. Like I'm looking to see people, I'm looking to see oneness in the people that are around me. Like I want to see, the the creator within you and every mm. other person that I encounter. Like to me, I'm trying to get to ultimate oneness and realize everybody is my brother and sister. So now I am attracting relationships and friendships that mirror that back to me. Like love and devotion and commitment, all that stuff. Were the majority of men that you dated in college, were they white? 
Yeah. And I will say the only reason is because I went to a mostly white school. It wasn't. Yeah, of course. I mean, you, you, and you, like my you dad, date what you're around. Right. You know? And my dad used to kind of give me shit for that a little bit. But I'm like, dad, you sent me and my sister <laughs> to a school where there's like five fucking black people and like three Mexican people. So what do you think the odds are? Like, you know, especially if it's like with other people of color, when you, when you come into a situation like that, it's almost like you are my brother. You are my sister. It's like, mm. well, we weren't looking at it in a romantic way. It's like, we're, we're like forming a coalition, you know, it's like, it, and my dad was like, so weird about that for a second. And I'm like, yo, you sent me to, you put me in these situations where there's mostly white people. So I'm going to fall in love with white people because the, just the odds that's it but when you left colorado and went what? back to la i mean oh, yeah. orange county oh yeah the did you continue to date uh the majority like, of people were what no 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 it was uh it was definitely a mix of people all kinds of ethnicities yeah and then when you came to the bay and when i came thing. to the bay it was yeah similar mm. yes it was similar like people from countries that i've never been to you know um which was cool and it, it showed me it was like it was never a bias where it was like i like white dudes it was just and I, you know, I do like white dudes. I like, I don't have a preference for any type of man, mm-hmm. but it just proved to me even more that I'm, I'm looking for the deeper aspect of that. You know, like it doesn't matter what you look like. Mm-hmm. If you're hot and you're cool, you're hot and you're cool. Mm-hmm. That's really all it is. Yeah. All right. So you are in a relationship currently now, right? Yes. And... <laughs> And it was a, I mean, we, we, we talked about this off, <laughs> off the air, but we're going to dive into it now. We're only going to dive so far into it because yeah, so these are people that have personal lives as well. Yeah. yeah. We're going to dive into it to an extent. So basically we're not going to name any, but you were in an open relationship. I was. Now define open relationship. Open as in being committed to somebody, but experimenting with other partners. So you were allowed to have sex with other people? Yes. And so so it was the person that I'm with. It was very much an equal thing, you know? And he can do the same thing? hmm Were there any rules like, oh, you can't bring so-and-so home, but you can do it at their house? The, the only rule really was just being open. Like, if I'm going on a date or you're going on a date, we're going to let each other know. Mm-hmm. Like, this is what I'm doing. And just being safe. And that was really the only rule. Was this the first open relationship you ever been in? Yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, so you meet this guy. How did how did it how did it come about? Like, um, well, I was the one who initiated that. That and um, the people that I was seeing, I was seeing two people, and it came to the point where you know, I, that this is something that I want. I've been wanting to explore, and both these people were down for the ride and down for the experience so how did you how did you choose between those two people to make it official oh my gosh there's no well i did but oh my gosh i don't want to get too far were you like i'm gonna go with this guy and then be like yo i'm gonna this is what it is did you present the offer to both of them and then one of them was like no i don't want to be in an open relationship so you were like okay this guy is it no 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 the person that i'm with now um there's there's a deep connection and we made each other our primary partners and so mm. that's how that went. Was this the first open relationship with a guy? Yes, everyone involved had okay. not done this before. So this is a bunch of novices coming into to mm. quite an elevated state of being. Uh, quite a you have to have a certain level of maturity and acceptance to to do something. Why, like why did this. you want an open relationship? Why couldn't you just be? I don't know, like. Monogamous? 
or yeah, what? Like friend, why did you have to be uh, committed to him? Um, Instead I of just be like, okay, we can still see each other and have this connection, but we don't need a title. You know what I'm saying? Uh, well, we wanted the, the, the deepness and the intimacy. Um, but you and can for still me, have that without a, without a title. You can Without but, saying that this is my boyfriend. But when you add those things in, it kind of forces you to alchemize feelings of jealousy and feelings of insecurity when, when you bring those things into play. You know, it's kind of like you're playing with your own boundaries in a way. Um, mm-hmm. And like I had been doing, I, I was a serial monogamous, but not by, not intentionally. So it was a way to kind of see how I could transcend the feelings of attachment and codependency and expectation. Do you guys live together? No. Okay. No, no, no. Mm. That's that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, do you know who? Well, let me, let me, let me. Yeah. Do you know who uh, Kevin Samuels is? Okay. So, I know who Kevin Samuels is as of today. When you wait, brought wait, him up to me, I've wait, got wait, some wait, notes. What? I've got some notes here because he really. Well, first of all, let me let me ask some questions first. Okay. Okay. All right. So the reason. <laughs> The reason I bring up Kevin Samuels because he's blowing he's blowing up on the internet, right? Right. He's a viral sensation, right? Um, and a lot of women listen to what he says and they think it's they disagree on a lot of his views, but a lot of men are like, "Yes, Kevin Samuels, you've been you're you're saying what we've been wanting to say for years and years and years." Now. uh I listened to a lot of Kevin Samuels and then, but I mean, I listened to it okay. just to, just to see what the fuss is about. Mm-hmm. And Kevin Samuels is basically, he says, I mean, this is one f- thing that he preaches that a lot of modern women, right? Like to, let me finish. A lot of modern women, right? Um, especially, I mean, he specifically, he talks to about all women, but he specifically uh, talks about black women, right? And he says a lot of black women nowadays don't respect black men. Um, a lot of modern women need to go back to, like, the years of their great-grandmother and be submissive to the man, be like house housewives and shit like that. Mm-hmm. So... And um, a lot of women call, his inst- uh, call in on his show, right, and say, oh... Well, I want a man that's this and this and this. And then he says, well, what makes you deserve a man like that has this and this and this when you only have this and this and this? So you're not on the, pl- the same playing field. So how can you attract a man with this and this and this if you don't have this and this and this? So basically, he says a lot of shit like that. Now, what do you think on uh, some of those views? Let me tell you what I think on some of that. So it's funny you say the modern woman thing because, because, you know, I, I would never have had this man's information in my sphere unless you brought him to me because this is very much third dimension. So you never heard of Kevin Samuels before? No, because I'm not into the third, the 3D shit. I'm into the 4D shit, you know? So this is like, I started to feel very emotionally charged when I started listening to this clip. So I made sure to like write things down. So I wasn't coming from a place of just pure, emotion and mm. like facts and crazy shit this man was saying and his demeanor towards this woman mm-hmm. so for anybody listening and for for you both the clip that i was listening to was called modern women learn that life is not a game so mm. i was like okay the term modern woman <laughs> it's like using that in just at all it's like of course 
the woman of today is going to be modern and we're mad at that. Mm-hmm. So Kevin's talking to this woman. I think she's 25 years old and she was saying how she wants to travel because she feels like there's more to be seen out there as far as the dating pool. Yeah. And was this a black woman? It was a black woman. Yes. Right. 25 year old black woman. And so uh, the audacity of this question too. So, so Kevin's like, how much money do you make? And the woman, not wanting to disclose such a personal thing, says, enough. Mm-hmm. You know, because she was saying, if I wanted to, I could go travel out there. And he was like, do you have enough money to travel? And we, they came to that. And so he says, what do you do for a living? And she was like, I'm a leasing consultant. Yeah. And so he's like, oh, so you're not rich. You can't come on here and bullshit me. And she was like, well, I wasn't trying to bullshit you. I just didn't want to say what my fucking paycheck is every month. And he just considered coming. Like, what else did he say? He said, you come in here and make things unpleasant um, because she was just deciding not to diverge, like divulge the the depth of information that he was asking for. And this woman, by the way, if anybody who watches this clip, she was being extremely respectful, you know, listening to what he had to say, not acting in the way that I would have if some man were to come at me like that. Like mm. you were going to be like, tell me how much fucking money you make a month. And I said, no, and you're going to tell me I'm being unpleasant. Mm. I would have not reacted the way she did. But um, it was rude because... Okay, so you asked me to come on your podcast because you view me as a peer, right? Mm-hmm. And we're going to have a dialogue and come to different conclusions and have different ideas. Mm-hmm. This man, he is 50. So he is only like a year or two younger than my dad. And um, he was basically saying to her, it's like, do you speak to your, your father this way? Like, I'm your elder. I'm not your peer. And to me, I thought that was kind of sociopathic because why would you have somebody come on your podcast if they're not a your peer or b someone you look up to that you're trying to gain knowledge from if you're going to bring somebody on your podcast that you look down on and you don't consider to be your peer then call it the kevin samuels hour it's not a fucking podcast you know Mm. like the audacity of this man to call this a podcast when he wants this woman to come on and be like i speak to you like i'm your elder you are not my peer it's like why the fuck do you want to have her come on there Okay, so let me let me write say some other stuff that I wrote down because no, I was I was appalled. I was appalled at at what this man was saying. And let me tell you also that I don't like sit, sitting in an echo chamber. I like listening to crazy weird Republican podcasts and like like I like hearing other, other ideas. Views, yeah. yeah, but usually it's people that are coming to have a conversation and not just speak at each other. Mm-hmm. And so, all right, this dude was saying. He was telling her that she had a timeline for her body because he was asking all kinds of invasive questions of like, how, like, when do you want to have children? Why are you not in a serious relationship right now? And he was saying, 30 is too old to have a child. Um, and she was an only child. And he was saying, only children are problematic people, the most problematic mm. people on the planet. How can you tell Only somebody? children? Only children. Some of my best friends are only children and they're extremely empathetic, smart, kind, caring people. Mm-hmm. You know, people that have, had a wound of being the only children. Um, they didn't ask for that. So that was extremely crazy to me that he would say that to her and she didn't have any control over that. And let's see. He said, oh, he said to her, how do you plan on taking care of yourself to the end of your days if your relationship problems persist? This man is so fucking archaic <laughs> that he thinks, he fucking thinks that this woman will not be able to survive unless she gets married and finds a man who will take care of her if she stays a leasing consultant. Leasing consultants make fine money. Mm. This man is out of his fucking mind. And he just doesn't know how to adapt to the present day reality of things. And his wounded masculine was showing. His mm. wounded masculine was, was extremely prevalent. 
Um, what else did he say? Because I was like, this is fucking crazy. Like I had to pause and like <laughs> just like take take a second. Damn. After like a, every few seconds, because it wasn't as if <laughs> he was just talking at her. You know, mm. this woman was so calm. Like if me and that man were in the same room, mm-mm. oh, he would hung up on you. Oh, he would have. He's or would have beat his ass before then if he was <laughs> in the same room. Um, okay, so he said, "Black women, this this was crazy. Black women have been allowed to decide." Whatever I want to decide, I want to do it, I'll get it. He was basically saying that it was a bad thing that black women are deciding the timelines of their own lives. And that that is part of what internalized racism stems from, is when you see a black man that's older than you that's supposed to be on your side telling you that he doesn't believe black women should be allowed to decide what they want to do and when they want to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, And he said also, men control access to marriage as if it wasn't, it's not a, a partnership. He also used the term breeding years, which was disgusting. Mm. Breeding? The, breeding. He oh, said okay. breeding years. And my skin bubbled up from the inside. I was like, Bleh. this man really just said breeding like we're fucking cattle. Mm. And it was crazy to me that he said that women are the ones who decide when, when babies are made and when marriage happens because I think we all know at this point that is not true. So I'm in the process of trying to donate eggs, right? Mm. And that is a long labored process. And it would take about two months. And if somebody wanted my eggs, I would get paid about 14K. Now, sperm banks, you go and you donate your sperm. I think you get what? Is like 150 bucks, 200 bucks? Like that shit's like. Wait, 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 wait. So this is what I'm trying to talk about. So you, um, you're donating eggs? I'm donating eggs, yes. Why, do you, why, why are you doing that? Um, okay, so I'm not a huge proponent of progeny, the act of like reproduction and carrying on your bloodline. Like I have more cousins than I can count. Mm-hmm. I have like 12, 13 aunts and uncles. And I just, I think having kids is just not really on my radar. It's not something that I really want to do. Have you ever been in love? Oh my gosh, of course. Yeah. Like true love. True love, true love, true love, true love. Okay. But for me, I know. for me, um, there's just different ways of living life. And so you don't want kids. Um, okay. So I, I mean, I don't want kids. either. Well, I said, I'm 90% sure I don't want kids. There's 10% of me that may want it, but here's my reasoning for donating eggs is I was, when I, the thought popped into my mind, I did some research and of course I'm looking at POC that have donated their eggs. Cause if you were to go on YouTube right now and you were to search, was that 14,000? Was that the game no, changer? No, 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 it wasn't. It really wasn't. <laughs> um, and I didn't start making this decision until I was making good enough money to know that it was a genuine thing that I wanted to do. Mm. Cause there have been points where I've been like pressed for cash and it's like, I'm not going to do something so crazy just cause I want cash. But now I'm at the point. This is why I'm making this decision is if you were to go on YouTube, and search egg donating process, it's like almost all white women, right? So like I had to specifically search out POC BIPOC that were donating donating their eggs. And one woman made a point and she was like, the percentage of black, brown women who are donating eggs is small. That pool is tiny. And she said, when I realized this, I felt almost an obligation and a responsibility to donate the eggs that I have. So that way people that look like us can have the opportunity to bring in babies of this lineage and of this color. So in my mind, I'm like, damn, like even though I don't want to have kids, if you donate eggs, can you still have kids? Oh, of course. But it's interesting. Probably a stupid question, but no, it's not a stupid question at all. Because if I were to decide to stay in the city that I donated my eggs in, they ask you to be a part of a program where I forget what the name of the program is, but basically where you, everybody that was in the situation to begin with is, alerted so that way in case these two kids 
run into each other, they know what's up. So like if I were to donate eggs in San Francisco and somebody were to take my eggs and have them and then a year later I decided to have a baby, like there's a requirement to like... Well, why would you even want to I know? Wouldn't. I mean, like well, if, if I was a woman and if I donated eggs I, or if, if I donated my sperm, uh-huh. I wouldn't want to know... Why would you that, have too much? That, that this kid is across the street from me and that's my eggs. I mean, my sperm that made him. Like, uh, it's too much for you? I mean, it's not too much, but I mean, imagine me walking down the street and then some kid walks, it's coming this way, I'm going this way. And then you're like, damn, this motherfucker looks exactly <laughs> looks, like me. You look similar. I think I know that, dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I wouldn't I mean, want to know that shit. <laughs> I mean, I would keep I would keep it open, but I mean, of course, a lot of the times people do that stuff you never hear from them again. Mm. Um, I have, I know I have, I have one friend that I met through Audrey actually, who just met up with her birth mom um, within the last year. And it was like a great, cool thing. Um, so it's like, I would give them my name, my number, my information in case that kid ever decided they want to reach out, but it wouldn't be like a weird thing where I'd like check in, you know? And uh, what was I? It's a random question, but what if the kid wants to reach out and then he's like, can I call you mom? <laughs> you know what i don't know i would have to deal with that when i got there i didn't I, I don't and i don't think a kid would do that though because when somebody raises you like those are your parents i think it would be like you are a piece of me but i'm not going to call you mom like i don't think anybody actually does I mean, that. there are some kids who are adopted who are like never been around their birth mom mm-hmm. been raised by the adoption mom considers them their mom then they meet and then they're like oh i still want to meet my biological parents and then they end up like boom Right. Calling them mom, but anyway. Right. But the reason I even got on this tangent of donating eggs is because this man doesn't realize that women are actually like, to me, there is no power. There should be no power struggle because men and women, if everything were balanced, we see each other on the same playing field. But if I wanted to have a baby right now and I had the money, I could go to a sperm bank and have that artificially inseminated within me and have a baby that shares my DNA. If a man decides he wants to have a baby with his DNA by himself, he has to find a woman who is willing to participate in that. Mm-hmm. Even once, if even if he were to do the test tube insemination, they, they have to put that into a woman who agrees. So I could do this fully by myself and not have another human being involved except for the people that are helping me through the medical process versus a man doesn't have that option at all. It doesn't matter how much money you have mm. or power you have. There's another woman that has to be involved in that. And that's that. So to hear Kevin coming from this place, it was, it felt like a delusional wounded masculine thing. Like I don't want to project onto him, but it seemed like I, I could only imagine that his father either wasn't very present or had a toxic mindset because the embodiment of the masculine is to support and devote to the feminine. And the mm. feminine, the archetype of that is to to accept the energy and to accept the devotion and the love and and be as is. If you're going to look at the the fundamental archetypes. So for him to take from instead of adding two women, that proves that somebody hurt him at some point and that's a wound and that's just bleeding through. Yeah. And so yeah, I was very much not a fan of that content. It was very much 3D shit, and I'm looking for 4D shit, you know? Mm-hmm. Where are you at in, the, uh, in the, the egg donation process? Right now, I'm still just filling out my application. 
I like, so I hit up UCSF and they have a pretty good program and they sent me this like really long ass application. So like, and every time I fill it out, I start like getting a little bit, I have a little bit of anxiety. So it's taken me a minute. Are they asking you like crazy ass personal questions? Have you ever done drugs or like, yeah. does, does anyone in your family have Down syndrome? Shit yeah. Like when do you ask STD tests, like all kinds of stuff. And for me, mm-hmm. it's kind of crazy too, because my mom, she passed away from Lou Gehrig's disease when I was 17. So mm-hmm. Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS is a neurological disease where basically like your your uh, neurons like stop working and so basically you become paralyzed and everything stops working and you die and there's familial als and there's genetic mutational als and my mom had the genetic mutational type so nobody else in my family had this crazy disease besides my mom mm. and i'm like filling this shit out and i have to put that my mom died of als and in my mind i'm like is this gonna like fuck up my chances of being able to donate you know, like mm. it might, but you have to be honest about all that stuff. And it's like every time I go to fill out more of the application, it's like more really intense questions, which trigger other parts of my mind. And I'm just like, fuck, like there's a lot going on here. Do you feel like black women are seeking eggs or is it yeah, more like a I do. I think anybody with thing. money is seeking eggs. Because I don't hear a lot of black women's like, oh, I, I don't have kids. I want to go get eggs. I mean, it might not be as prevalent right now, but we are in the age where the... Black women are like, if I don't have a kid, I was like, fuck it. I just ain't gonna have kids. Right. Sure. A lot of them are that way, but there's still women that, that feel op- the opposite. And I think when it comes to you know buying eggs that have been donated, it's about your income. And of course, there was a big income gap between white people, black people, white people, people of color. Mm. Now that gap has been closing rapidly. So you're seeing more people of color with the ability to even have that outlet. Black couples who may have had to just give up are now able to have this area unlocked because they have the, the income. And so it's it would be cool to add to the supply. You know? How do they come up with the the price? Like how do they come up with that fourteen thousand dollars? You on know your what? Ears? Okay, so I know part of it is because of how intense it is. So if I were to do this there would be a shot that I would have to inject in myself almost every day to enlarge my ovaries. Mm. And that alone is painful. And because of that, you can't have sex for like the two months that you do it. So you have to like be celibate, inject this stuff in within you. And I think there's like a 2% chance that it can like fuck up your ovaries permanently. Mm. So they pay you all this money in case something does happen. Not only that, you have to go in for checkups like every other week. So if you have a nine to five job like I do, it's like I have to alert all of them of that. Like that's taking away from my team. Yeah. And um, it's just like it's a hard process. And like the process of actually extracting the eggs, I think, is painful. So f- I think it's the time, the energy, and the risk is where that comes from. So you're saying your eggs will be the same price as Serena Williams' eggs? Well, okay. So if, if we're talking on the surface level, yes. Uh. But I feel like there's all kinds of weird conspiracy level shit that's going on as far as genetically modified people like you could pick what eye color they have and their level athleticism like i think to people like you and i who have the knowledge that we do yes my technically my eggs would be just as much as serena williams but i think it's a a lot deeper than that i think there's people that have been doing shit undercover and that are paying crazy money for that i don't think my sperm would be valued the same as lebron (laughs) james's sperm you know maybe not but you never know Mm. so uh this is the point of the 
the podcast where I let you promote, like self-promote anything you want to self-promote. Like if you want to give people your Instagram, if you want to give people, I don't know, if you want to promote your like, what is that store? Kills Army? What did did you say it was? (laughs) Dolls Kill. Dolls Kill. They don't need any more promo. They've got plenty of promo. (laughs) Well, I will say uh, my handle is at Brittany Camacho, B-R-I-T-T-N-E-Y. C A M A C H O. It's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. You might not write that down, but you should. And, mm-hmm. and I mean, in the future, I'm trying to come up with a podcast of my own, as I told you. Mm-hmm. I want to intersect spirituality and social politics, feminism, all of that. Um, that's still in the works. But, you know, anybody who's interested in knowing what I'm doing, follow me and you'll be updated when I get inspired and when things start moving a little more. I don't. So the podcast is the only thing you're currently uh, trying to work working on, or, or what? No. So personally, <laughs> this is another segue. I've been very into past life regression therapy, and Exp- explain that to me. Okay, so you've heard of the concept of past lives, right? Mm-hmm. There is a type of hypnotherapy that can get you so so far induced that you start talking about past lives and basically you connect with your higher self and versions of you in another timeline through this form of hypnotherapy and you can heal intergenerational trauma that way. And I've been obsessed with this topic since like, I want to say 2014 when Mm -hmm. I found a book by Michael Newton called life. uh, What was it called? Life between lives. Yes. And yeah, like I've, I've been studying this for years and years. And I think my next step is to learn how to do the qualitative healing hypnosis technique and do that for whoever I come into contact with. You regress them back into their past lives and you heal that intergenerational trauma and you know, you make connections and that's that's the project I'm working on next. Dope. <laughs> <laughs> I feel uh when it comes to therapists and shit like that, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like if you haven't been through the shit then don't try to give me advice about the shit. Mm, I feel that. So have you been through a lot of trauma in your past? I mean, if we're going to compare it to the world, maybe not, but you know, like I said, I mean, it sounds like, um, don't take this in a bad way. It sounds like you uh, lived a very, I mean, you heard the curated life. You You know know, what I'm saying? I went through my mom when she had ALS, she got diagnosed when I was 13, passed away when I was 17. And you know, she became paralyzed slowly until her lungs stopped working. And mm. that formed a lot of like who I was as a person. I pulled out of school my junior year and did school online to take care of her. Um, so, you know, you heard, you heard some, you heard the highlights, but I, I have been through a lot of trauma. I've been mm. in abusive relationships and I'm not trying to have like a contest of like my trauma versus this trauma. Yeah. I mean, that's what I wasn't trying to imply that. You know but, you know, I've been through enough that I, I can speak from a place of like true empathy and knowing what it feels to be suicidal and to see people that you love slowly fade away and mm. how to come back from that, you know, but I'm not going to deny that I have had a dope life and I haven't dealt with a lot yeah. of pain that other people have. Yeah. I mean, yeah. having a dope life is nothing to be ashamed of. True. True. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> Brittany, thank you very much for joining me on everyday celebrity podcast is, was a fun conversation getting to know you. Um, so glad you had me. This was so fun. Yeah. Um, I'm hopeful that you do have a podcast because you do have a voice, I think, that people would gravitate toward, especially in women. 
um, mm-hmm. and you talk the way you talk is very uh, uh, just captures the room. Like people would like stop what they're saying just to hear your voice. I think oh, that so. means a lot. Like from the bottom of my heart. So like, yeah, I think I so wish much. you. Uh, th- I give you advice like you should definitely pursue uh, starting your podcast. I don't know if you needed to hear this, but I did. The first thing you need to do is just fucking push record and just just do it. I mean, that's how I started mine because I'm not I'm not really a talker. Everyone, if you talk if, if you talk to people who know me and uh, you tell them, "Oh, Jordan has a podcast," like they were like, "What? This motherfucker doesn't? He's quiet. <laughs> He's quiet as shit." So you ask the good questions though, and I appreciate that. Yeah. That means so much. So. so yeah, I mean, so yeah, everyone, uh, follow her on Instagram. Check her out. Uh, what she's doing, and um, sh- sh- I don't know, send her a DM saying, "I want to be your guest <laughs> on your podcast." <laughs> yes, please do. So yeah, this is Everyday Celebrity Podcast, and we are out. You. Yep.